Welcome to Moment in Ministry, hosted by Pastor Steve Dameron. Hello again, this is A Moment in Ministry with Pastor Steve Dameron. Our guest today is Seth Custer. I'm going to have him introduce himself. My name is Seth Custer, and I have the privilege of teaching music and playing and performing and composing and doing a lot of different musical activities full-time. And that's something that I've done my whole life. I mean, I have a PhD in music composition, and it's something that I'm blessed uh, to be able to do as a career. Okay, Seth, so uh, we're going to try to bring this down. All right. <laughs> well, when you, when you said the PhD in music compositions, I'm thinking that we might have lost some of the teenagers with this. Um, but what we're going to try to do is think about young people. Um, tomorrow, he's going to be speaking in our chapel, and you can catch that through our chapel format. But he's going to be speaking on uh, the, the trends as far as rock music and trying to give a baseline to help our students. So when thinking about young people, what are some, what are you seeing as far as some of the trends today with young people in music? Probably the thing I noticed uh, more than anything in recent years is that with the postmodern culture that we live in, uh, folks seem to have really lost the ability to, ob to objectively evaluate things like music. And we could extend that to literature or art um, or almost anything in our culture. Uh, we're in an age when if you like something, it is thereby good and no one else is allowed to criticize it. And what I think that means for music is that there are actually things that we can say such and such would make for a good quality piece of music and such and such would not. And what I notice is that folks uh, gear toward the things they like and toward the things that are catchy. Uh, for instance, there's a term that's been thrown around uh, in recent years called earworm. And the idea of it is uh, the people that produce popular music now are very much shooting for something that will stick in your ear and you'll remember it long enough to click purchase on iTunes or wherever you're accessing the music and if they can get you to do that they've accomplished their mission. There's not even necessarily an intention to produce something that's of good quality that activates your mind and could cause you to think uh, in, help, in healthy ways we would say it's just geared toward the sales. And so to be in a culture like that means that we have to be more and more scrutinizing about the things we allow into our minds. And for Christians, I think that implies that, uh, that we do need to pursue things that are of high quality, things that are glorifying to God, that are healthy and helpful to our thought process, and not just go for the first immediate sort of uh, instant pleasure uh, that so many folks are, are going for now. All right, so you mentioned something in your statement there in answering that some, if it's a young person watching, you lost them in, I think, about 12 seconds there. But <laughs> all right, just kidding, young people. All right, but uh, so you said that we, that's a postmodern culture, uh, mentioned that, and objective. My sense, as you were talking through there, basically boiling it down is, um, Way back, I think in the 70s and 80s, there was um, articles written about music, and there were people coming out with music, even rock musicians, saying that music is amoral. So the idea was, there is no right and wrong. And is that kind of what you're meaning by, um, it's just, I, I like this. This is what makes me feel good. Is that? Yeah, th I think that's getting in the same direction. There's two parts to that. Uh, on one hand, I do teach regularly 
the fact that I believe strongly uh, that music does communicate objectively okay. and that it's definitely possible for music to communicate morals. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to pin down specific morals. For instance, I wouldn't say that you could listen to a piece of music and say that it's communicating uh, an obscure moral quality like, say, envy yeah. or something. Yeah. But, but could music be extreme enough in some way to communicate anger or violence mm -hmm. or sensuality? And I certainly believe that that's possible and that we actually do find lots of examples in our culture of music that communicates those things. The other part of it is just being able to evaluate quality in anything that we find around us. For instance, I think there are a lot of parents that would rather their, their kids read a really well-written piece of fiction or nonfiction than play video games all day. Yes. Why? Because one is activating a, a child's brain mm -hmm. and the other is putting it to sleep. And what that means in music is that uh, often we find examples of music that are geared completely toward, say, a mindless dance rhythm, mm. a throbbing beat mm -hmm. that continues and never changes yeah. because of, of its purpose, which is often to elicit a physical response, but that's entirely different than something that could actually stimulate your brain. Now, someone might assume that because I've spent a lot of time studying music in a university context that I think everyone needs to sit around all day listening to really complex sounding nice. classical music, as someone might call it, or yeah. concert music. And while I do think there are lots of good examples of classical music that are helpful, uh, it, of course, it doesn't need to be complex to be valuable. Uh, I just mean something that that changes, that has some nuance to it, something that requires you to listen carefully and is not just inundating your senses. Uh, I think other analogies may be easier to understand, such as the difference between uh, the most readily accessible junk food on the snack aisle at the gas station yeah. or something that has a little bit more to it that could actually nourish your body. I think that's the difference between a lot of the pop music that's being put out and good music that we might find in church or in the classical setting or in other places where it's actually been put together to stimulate a profitable thought process. So we've talked about music, the objectivity, um, and that really there should be, uh, and in your case, uh, you perform, so there should be a performance level, but there also should be a, a level of music that we're trying to push our kids to, all right, our young people. So as a parent, I'm a, I'm a dad. So what are some things that can help me as a dad uh, as parents, what are some things that we can look for? And then as young people, all right, youth. I mean, you know this. Uh, I, I was a youth uh, many, many moons ago, all right, but I was a youth. I liked music. I, I still like music, but I, I know that music probably in my youth was a little stronger. So uh, maybe some tips. Oh, let's work first with the parents and then we'll go to young people. Well, one one place I like to start, I already said I like classical music, yeah. but I think exposing children to the best, some of the best music that's ever been written. Yeah. Um, I think classical music, Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, yeah. it's a good place to start. And what's interesting about that is that uh, studies show that the music people listen to when they're young mm. is what they consider to be the best music. Mm. So literally, parents get to choose what their child's taste will be. Uh, maybe not completely, but in by and large, I would say that's true. And I think it's always worth asking, what is it about the music that you like? And to think consciously about that, not just to say, well, I like it, end of story, purchase or play, but what is it about it that you like? 
Is it something that you just merely set on in the background and, and tap your toe to without thinking about it? Or is it something that that activates your mind? Uh, can it be artistic in some way? And again, I'm not being you know theory right. professor nerd right. and saying it has to be uh, like stick your nose up in the air, be snarky toward everyone else kind of artistic. I just mean something that has substance. Uh, I think another good analogy that helps me explain this point to folks um, is in a church context. There are folks that, that find a church that's just nothing but energy and emotion, yeah. and that that is the target for how they choose their church. Yeah. And is there actually some depth mm. in the teaching? Are we actually getting into the scriptures and soaking in truths from the scripture, or is it just energy and emotion? Obviously, no one's saying there shouldn't be emotion in our services. If we're human, it's going to happen. But as a, as a top priority, there needs to be truth and substance. Yeah. And I think the same is true in music. So you mentioned in um, parenting, and this is controversial, right? Because you said you can, you can steer as a parent uh, taste. Okay. And I know I've had conversations, not necessarily with Christians, but some with Christians, uh, but a lot with worldly folks. And they get really irritated because they're like, oh, you know what? What are you, some dictator? You little Hitler in your house? And I say, well, um, I also make my kids get up. I make them brush their teeth. I make them do this. So I'm, I'm focusing that. I think all of these parents and those parents that are griping at me as far as focusing maybe as far as some of the musical taste, um, those parents are the ones riding their kids to be the best football player, the best hockey player, the best basketball player. So they also are steering them. They're just steering them in their direction. So uh, maybe just touch on that as far as how important it is, because I know that's controversial, but I believe we have biblical backing for that, because the Bible does say train up a child in the way he should go. That seems to indicate that the parent has the right to train the child. Well, I think when it comes to media and yeah. what parents allow their children to be exposed to in the way of media, it might be one of the most important influences to nail down and be intentional about. You know, you think about the effect of the culture on a person, and we're not going to escape that. If you go to the store, you're going to hear music on the speakers. Uh, so there are some things we can't control, but then you think about the time you spend talking to a, a child uh, about anything during the day in conversation or the time they spend in church, the time they spend with their friends, all of that could uh, pale for many folks, pale in comparison to the amount of time they spend in their room with the door closed, with their earbuds or headphones on, yeah. pumping music from who knows what secular artist uh, into their mind and into their soul at very high volume levels Imagine if they did that for two or three hours a day. Not only would they probably mess up their hearing, as a lot of kids are, but it's like Lady Gaga or pick a, a secular artist. Yeah. It's like they have that privileged position mm -hmm. of influence and counsel, if you will, yes. into that child's life more than even the parent does yeah. because of the exposure to the media. Of course, the same could be said of TV and other media, social media. But I do think uh, it's worth being very intentional about and think of it like a person sitting next to the kid talking to them for hours a day. Yes. If, if you think of it in those terms, it, it will help uh, be more intentional and, and set rules as necessary. I know in the home I grew up in, there were definitely rules right. about what we could and couldn't do. It's not that we were completely oblivious of the culture, 
but that didn't mean that my parents were going to let us uh, sort of feast our minds on the culture yeah. for multiple hours a day uh, like some folks do.